Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Famula One. I'm your host, Jamie. I hope you're having a lovely, lovely weekend. Happy Labor Day weekend if you are in America. Happy Monza weekend for everybody. Um, huge weekend for Ferrari, who will be our topic today. Um, but very exciting. Great performance from them. Congratulations to Carlos on the podium and on pole position. Very exciting. Um, some news has come out in the Formula One world these, this week, um, lots of contracts being signed. So um, Kevin Magnuson and Nico Hulkenberg are returning to Haas for 2024. Um, very exciting for them. I am a little surprised that they are, are keeping Kevin Magnuson. Um, but, you know, Nico's performance has been so strong. So just, you know, very exciting. It sounds like they're they're happy with what they've got, and we'll be seeing them again in 2024. Um, another big one is we finally have the Lewis Hamilton contract confirmation. Um, so Lewis will be remaining with Mercedes until 2025. Um, also, George Russell will be remaining with Mercedes until 2025. They both have re-signed, so... We'll be keeping that lineup as well. Toto actually had some some very strong words. He is, is saying that um, he thinks the Mercedes lineup is the strongest on the grid. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that, but, you know, I, I do think they are a solid pair. So very exciting. Um, but let's jump into today's episode. As it is Monza week, it is Ferrari's home race. There was only one right topic, the history of Scuderia Ferrari. Um, so sources for today's episode are Formula1.com, Ferrari.com, and GPblog.com. So to start this story, we have to go back to 1950. Ferrari is the oldest Formula One team um, they were created in 1950. In 51, um, Jose Gonzalez records their first victory when he wins at the British Grand Prix. Um, I don't believe they were racing at Silverstone in this time, but it's possible. Um, British Grand Prix, regardless. First win within a year. Um, and then in 1952, the success con continues. Um, Alberto Ascari wins the first of two back-to-back -back drivers championships. So he also won in 53. Um, that is the first drivers championship for Ferrari. And then in 1956, Juan Manuel Fangio wins his fourth drivers championship with the Scuderia. Um, success again continues throughout the late 50s. In 1958, Mike Hawthorne becomes the third ever Ferrari driver to win a driver's championship. So Ascari, Fangio, Hawthorne. Um, in heading into the 60s, Phil Hill, again, more success here. He leads Ferrari to the double of both drivers and constructors championships in 61 and 62. Um, kind of all-time domination from their the the team's birth. In 
64, John Surtees, who is a former, he was a motorcycle champion, came over to Formula One and takes the driver's title for 64. Um, and a fun little fact is that John Surtees is the only person to achieve a championship both on two wheels and on four, which is really cool. Um, then we get into the 70s, 75 through 77, Nicky Lauda. He takes the 75 championship, um, has a horrific accident in 1976, um, resulting in scarring on his face, but returns um, to get the second title for the team in 1977. In 1979, Jody Schechter wins the Drivers' Championship. Um, this is the last title for Ferrari, the last Drivers' title for 21 years. Um, heading into the 80s, though, they are still finding some success. In 1983, Ferrari wins their eighth constructors title. Um, so no driver's titles, but they do get secure constructors. Um, but then we get into the 90s. And as you may see on the screen, you may recognize that face. Michael Schumacher joins Ferrari. Um in 1999, he does miss six rounds of the of Formula One of the Formula One season in 99 after breaking his leg at Silverstone. But the team does still secure the drivers' championship. Um, but his teammate Eddie Irvine falls just short of the drivers' title. Um, and then into the early 2000s, this is a very famous era of complete Ferrari domination with Michael Schumacher winning both drivers and constructors titles three years in a row. Um, this continues into 2003, 2004, more wins on wins on wins. Um, but then we get to 2005. This was the introduction of new regulations, um, particularly Ferrari struggles with um, requirements of tires that have to last for the qualifying for qualifying and for the race. Um, they have seven podiums, including one at the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix in Indianapolis. But that one is um, a bit, it, it's, it, they still won, but only six cars entered. That is a very interesting story that I'm sure we will get to eventually. It um, relates to these tire regulations. Um, and at this point in Formula One, there were multiple tire suppliers and Michelin, um, had to withdraw their entry. So it was a six-car field. Um, but in 2005, they finished third in the constructors' standings. In 2006, um, they were initially behind Renault, but Michael Schumacher, being the incredible driver that he is, um, leads the charge back to the top with seven victories in 2006, um, which moves them ahead of Renault with just three races to go. However, reliability issues have them beaten to the title by just five points. So close. Um, in 2007, which is a very famous year that we've talked about in terms of McLaren, um, but they, Ferrari ends reign supreme on track and in court for Spygate. Uh, but Kimi Raikkonen secures the driver's title after a late season surge in form. Um, they also win the constructor's title, 
not much of a battle after McLaren was found guilty of Spygate and they were removed from constructors contention. 2008, this is another interesting year. Um, but with eight wins, uh, they are secure their 16th constructors title, beating McLaren by 21 points. Um, Felipe, Felipe Massa misses out on the driver's title by just one point to Lewis Hamilton. 2008 is Lewis Hamilton's first driver's title. Um, this we will get to a little bit more at the end of the episode in Dirty Air, um, because there is quite the story behind this. But essentially, for the purposes of our current timeline history, um, they do win the Constructors title in 2008, but they miss out on the Drivers title to Lewis Hamilton. Heading into 2009 and the early 2010s, um, they are outpaced and outperformed by Red Bull and McLaren. Um, Massa has an accident um, and he's replaced by some stand-ins that are just not on form. They are not very, very fast. Um, Alonso is currently driving with them at this point in 2008 and 2000 or 2009 and 2010. Um, and he narrowly misses out on the championship, but again, not able to secure any sort of championships. Um, 2011 is a bit of the same story as they, they start out pretty slow trailing McLaren and Red Bull. Um, this is also the point where um, Formula One has the exclusivity agreement with Pirelli and Ferrari has a bit of a struggle with these Pirelli tires, um, but the forms does steadily improve um, with some spectacular drives from Mr. Fernando Alonso um, and they won in Silverstone, but that keeps them in the title hunt for a little bit longer but, you know, it doesn't end up with anything. You know, he stays in, in contention barely for longer than expected, but does not reign supreme. Um, and Felipe Massa has a really tough season and fails to finish on the podium even once throughout the whole season. Um, heading into 2012, the, the F2012, which was their car for this year, is very much off the pace very slow. However, uh, the car does improve rapidly throughout the season um, with Fernando Alonso at the wheel. Um, he leads the championship actually for much of the year, even though this car is slower than other cars around him. Um, Sebastian Vettel is eventually able to pass him and take the driver's championship with Red Bull. Um, but Felipe Massa has a better year this year than he did in 2011, um, and it helps the team to second in the Constructors' Championship. On to 2013. Fernando Alonso is competing up at the front from the beginning, despite this year's car, the F138, struggling in qualifying. Um, Fernando does win in China and Spain, but... There are mid-season tire revisions with Pirelli, and it really hurts the team's form. Um, they drop third in the constructors overall behind Red Bull and Mercedes. In 2014, this is their first season without a win since 1993. Um, the car this season is the F14T, and it is uncompetitive even with two world champion drivers with Fernando Alonso and, and Kimi Raikkonen. 
Um, still, even with the, the two of the most amazing drivers in the world, the car is just not competitive. Um, but they head into 2015 and Fernando Alonso leaves the team. Sebastian Vettel joins and the restructured team um, became the only serious rivals to reigning champions Mercedes. Um, this is, again, as we discussed last episode, um, Mercedes dominance era and Sebastian Vettel is really their biggest challenger. Um, they achieve three Grand Prix wins with Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen does struggle to match Sebastian's pace um, in this season. In 2016, the promise of that 2015 season with the three wins um, and in the strong pace and the able to challenge Mercedes, um, it evaporates pretty fast. Uh, they find themselves significantly behind Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, Kimi and Sebastian do finish on the podium seven and four times, respectively. Um, Sebastian Vettel finishes on the podium seven times. Kimi finishes on the podium four times. Um, but as uh, we've come to expect, poor strategy calls prevent them from taking the rare victory opportunities that do present themselves. <sighs> it never ends with Ferrari and strategy, does it? Um, but moving on to 2017, they have a very innovative car this year, and it really reignites the team, puts them back on par with, with Mercedes and able to challenge them once again um, for the first half of the season. And then infuriating levels of just technical errors, sometimes the odd driver error, um, their, their drivers are Kimi and Seb, so very strong lineup, not too many errors from them. Um, they, they do drop them, drop out of title contention in the second half of the season after a really promising first half. Um, but they do finish the season uh, with five race wins to Mercedes 12 race wins for this season. So still off the pace, not a true challenge, but we continue. In 2018, um, and this story is going to start sounding repetitive, but Ferrari produce the fastest car on the grid and yet are somehow, who knows, outraced, outstrategized, and outdeveloped by Mercedes. Sebastian Vettel does win five races, um, but with... All of the challenges, some mistakes from Seb, um, they do not reign supreme, even with the fastest car. Pain. Uh, in 2019, um, again, this pattern that is starting to form um, with, with a slow start, they fail to win a race until August at the Belgian Grand Prix, despite being the preseason favorites and having the quickest car. Um, a tense rivalry uh, with the newcomer at, to the team in this year, Charles Leclerc. Um, he outscores Sebastian Vettel with two victor victories. Charles Leclerc wins twice and Sebastian Vettel wins one race in this season. Then we get to good old 2020. 
Um, 2020 is Ferrari's worst performance in four decades. They don't win a race. They score only three podiums and they are sixth in the constructor's standings. Um, at this point, Seb is kind of told early on in the year that he will not be renewed and had invited back for the 2021 season with a new contract. Um, and Charles Leclerc secures 98 out of the team's 131 points. So a very, uh, with, you know, considering the performance and the limitations, a pretty strong performance from Charles Leclerc. Then we get to 2021. Um, and again, this still kind of in this no sign of a title challenge performance, but um, stronger than 2020. Um, they clear McLaren for P3 in the Constructors' Championship behind Red Bull and Mercedes. Um, they are more than double the 2020 points tally, which is promising. And Carlos Sainz, who had joined the team this year, outscores Charles Leclerc and takes four podiums to Charles Leclerc's one. Then we get to 2022 painful year uh and again i feel like i'm repeating myself this episode they enter the season with the strongest car the fastest car charles leclerc wins two of the three first races of the season but with a mix of driver error reliability issues and strategy strategy missteps they become distant runners up to red bull Carlos does secure his first ever win at Silverstone this year. So this season does hold a special place in my heart, but it is very painful to look back at races like Monaco and just wonder what could have been if Ferrari just got it together a little bit. Um, and that brings us to the current season, 2023, um, you know, another sink in performance this year, they are absolutely not the fastest car on the grid. That is by far, far and away Red Bull. Um, but they are currently really in a fight for, for third in the Constructors' Championship again. Um, Aston Martin and Mercedes are both ahead of them in the Constructors at this point, I believe. Um, and there has not been a win yet. Granted, there hasn't been a win for anybody besides Red Bull yet. And this past weekend was a really strong performance from them. Carlos Sainz got on pole, um, which was fantastic. He led for 15 laps in the race and finished P3. Charles Leclerc finished P4 right behind him. So, you know, we will see as the season continues if they can maybe mount, mount a challenge at some point. We will see. But for being honest with each other, I'm just looking forward to 2024 and a new car. I think that's uh, that's where I'm at. But that is is the timeline of of Ferrari and where we are now, and some of the the epic highs and lows of the Scuderia Ferrari. However, um, for this week's edition of Dirty Air, I mentioned 2008. I mentioned Felipe Massa, who missed out on the title by just one point to Lewis Hamilton. Um, 
and I mentioned that there was some some stuff going on with that. Now, 2008 is the year after Spygate, but it has its own little scandal in 2008. And that, my friends, is Crashgate. Now, we'll talk more about Crashgate eventually when we do um, more information in a timeline of Reno. But as a quick little synopsis, in the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix, Nelson Piquet Jr. is driving for Renault and he crashes. This causes a safety car. Fernando Alonso, his teammate, was starting from, I believe, P14 on the grid. This safety car allows him to catch up. He ends up winning the race. Then it comes out later that Nelson Piquet Jr. crashed on purpose so that this safety car would happen and that Fernando would be able to win the race. All of this comes out years and years ago, and nothing is ever done about it because it happens, the information is leaked or comes out or Nelson is admitting to these things after the season has ended, meaning Lewis Hamilton has already been awarded the Drivers' Championship, so the FIA do not do anything about it. They they punish Renault, but they don't take away any constructors' points or anything like that. This is all, again, 2008. This is a while ago. But recently, Mr. Bernie Ecclestone admits, who was president of the FAA at the time, uh, admitted that he knew about the scandal back in 2008. He knew that Nelson Piquet Jr. had crashed on purpose during the season. And Felipe Massa is arguing that that race then, because the FIA knew about this scandal before it had even broke, then he is arguing that they should have voided the results of the Singapore Grand Prix. And if you redo the math and you remove the results of the Singapore Grand Prix, Felipe Massa does come out on top. So he is currently seeking legal action for this 2008 what he is saying, you know, this 2008 scandal that was um, not handled properly. Um, he is seeking financial compensation, but is claiming that he's not doing it for the money, but for Formula One as a sport. And here's the thing. I think it is really frustrating. I can't imagine how frustrating it would be to be Felipe Massa, who you miss out on your dream by just one point. And then it comes out that there is scandal and you then spend 15 years moving on from that only for it to come back. And someone who had the power to do something about it when it happened knew what was going on and chose not to do anything. I'm sure that is ridiculously frustrating. However, one from everything that I can find in my research, what would have happened had the FIA and F1 chosen to do something about it when Crashgate happened? They wouldn't have deleted the results of the entire Singapore Grand Prix. From my understanding, they would have deleted the results of Renault for that race and possibly for the entire season. If that is the case, I believe Lewis Hamilton still comes out on top. I could be wrong about that, but you know, if his argument is that we should just be removing 
the Singapore Grand Prix altogether. I don't believe that that is what would happen, what would have happened. I'm not sure, though. That's just from what I found on Google and Twitter. <laughs> That's where I do my research. <laughs> um, I, I also think it's a bit... I get it. I get that it's frustrating, but I also feel, you know, what are we fighting for at this point? Are you, are you, he's saying he's doing this for the sport. In what way? Like, are, are you just want them to admit? Cause it sounds like, you know, Bernie Ecclestone has already admitted that he knew about it. He's already admitted that they did nothing. What do you want from this? If not money. So we will see how it goes. I highly doubt they're going to do anything like strip Lewis's title away and give it to Felipe. I highly doubt that will happen. Um, I don't even know if they could do that. We will see. Um, but yeah, Crashgate, we will talk about in detail more eventually. But this is the the Ferrari side of, of Crashgate. Um, and that's that's what I have for you today. I hope you have a fantastic week. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I will talk to you later. Bye.